Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty? or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Matthew 25, 31-46 Well, good morning, church. Judgment and child dedication, what could go better together, you know? Uh, If you remember, two weeks ago, I preached on church discipline, and today I get to preach on this. So I don't always remember how these texts are assigned, uh, but I don't know how I keep drawing the the short straw. But if if you do have questions about what we talked about, you can email drake.holderman at cco.church. No, I'm just kidding. That joke has a lot of mileage here. It's like an inside joke at this point, so it's good. But actually, my name is Elijah Daly, and I get to be a minister here, and I, I do love to serve here. I love the fact that we can bring families up and partner with them in trying to raise their children under Christ's lordship, recognizing that that kingdom, that life, that goodness, that's only what Christ can truly offer. And that's really what we're talking about today. That's what, what's really what Jesus has been talking about throughout this entire series, throughout the gospel of Matthew. But if you've noticed the last couple of weeks, Jesus is getting spicier. Like he's getting antagonistic. He's talking to people and he's saying some things that are upsetting. So much so that the people who he is upsetting will not be putting up with him for much longer. But what I want you to see, at least in our text, is that he's changing his conversation from being to the religious elite, those who were self-righteous and propped themselves up as being superior than those around them. Now he's talking to his friends. He's talking to his disciples, his kind of inner circle that he has been journeying with the last couple of years. 
And one of the things that you will find is that this conversation actually starts back in chapter 24. And this passage here is actually the very end of it. Now, to be honest, this passage is not unclear, but it is uncomfortable. But we can't just accept some parts of scripture and ignore the rest. Like this church really does believe that scripture is the authority It speaks into our life and it trains us in godliness. It it confronts us, it encourages us, and it changes us. And so we have to be informed by every part, even when they are hard. And this really is no different. Like if our world is to be as God intended, even as we long for it to be, it requires that wrong things be put right, bent things be put straight, evil things, broken things, corrupted things be separated and excluded If things are going to be put right, it needs justice, and justice requires a judge. And Jesus explains in this passage what happens when court is in session. And what he says is at the end of history, the king will come, and everything will be changed. And that one moment, he will sit on his throne in glory, and everything will be changed. Nothing will be left the same. And so today, we're going to ask three questions. Who is the king? What does he do? And how does he do it? Who is the king? What does he do? How will he do it? So let's start with who is the king. This picks up in verse 31 in chapter 25, if you'd like to follow along in your Bibles. But it says this, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. Now we can infer that this is a king for like a lot of reasons, but first off, it talks about him sitting on a throne. And unless he's talking about a toilet or a drum set, this is really is only fit for one office. It's a king. This is who he is. And the other reason we can know that this is a king is because he has a powerful entourage with him. He's joined by angelic beings. And I wish we could go into more detail about these things, uh, but that's really, it's not what the passage is about. But if you do want to go into more detail, you should join us on a Wednesday night in some of our classes. We get to dive a little bit deeper into some of these subjects. But suffice it to say for now that these are angelic beings, which means they are not us. We don't become angels when we die. We don't gain wings. These are intelligent beings, but they are not human. They're intelligent beings, but they are not physical. They are spiritual beings who carry out God's work in his way. And here they carry out an important function to bring the full force of his glory upon the moment. When the king comes, no one will miss it. Now, sometimes we get confused by this because when it seems like a world is constantly in turmoil, we're always wondering, like, is this the moment? Is he, is he almost here? Is he getting ready? Like, I know when I had my three kids, you know, as we went and had each kid, everyone told us, you'll know when you're having real contractions. You'll know when that baby is coming. But, like, we never really did. Like, we kept having the... Braxton Hicks ones, we, like Liz F, I went through this, right? <laughs> she kept having the Braxton Hicks contractions, the fake ones, you know, and she'd text me or call me and be like, do I need to come home? Do I need to grab the bag? Do I need to, you know, what do I need to do? I got to the point where I put some towels and I got some trash bags and gloves, put them in the car so I'd be ready to go. I can deliver this baby on the road if I need to, you know? <laughs> Thank God it never got to that place. But actually, truthfully, it never did. Like we were induced for all three. They never wanted to come out. Like, I don't know what happened. We never figured that out. But when we live in a world where there is war and pandemic and brokenness all around us, 
We start to wonder, don't we? Like, is this the end? We start to long for it to be. But this is part of what Jesus is saying. Like, when it comes, every single person will know. Not one person will miss out on this. The glory will be true, it will be seen, and it will be universal. All of the heavenly glory will be on full display when the Son of Man takes his seat. So who is it? Who is this king? Well, it says it's the Son of Man. Now, that term, Son of Man, is actually a pretty loaded term. It's significant. It's used all over Scripture in very specific ways. And literally so much has been written about it that I'm just going to try to simplify it and summarize it as much as possible. So what does it mean? Well, it really just means someone who is human. Psalm 8.4 says this, What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? If you've ever read Ezekiel, that's a kind of a crazy weird book, but Ezekiel is called a son of man over and over and over again because it's communicating to us the frailty, the lowly, the powerlessness of humanity. Not in like a condescending way, but just like a realistic ones. Like our bodies are decaying. They're not perfect. They're not as they should always be. But this person, this son of man who sits on the throne, it bears the mark of a person that looks like us. That's why it's kind of shocking. Like why is a man coming to sit on a glorious throne being worshipped and surrounded by powerful angelic beings? Well, I think the first reason is because it's fulfilling the prophecy made so long ago in the book of Daniel, like hundreds of years before. Daniel spoke of the Messiah. He spoke of the person that all Israel waited for. He spoke of the moment when he would come, and he says this in Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So this is a human, at least one like a human. It's the Messiah. He has glory. He has a kingdom in which he will reign and he sits on a throne. So who is it? Class? Jesus, right? The Bible, Bible class answer is correct. It's Jesus. Jesus is speaking of himself. He is the king. I'm sure that's shocking. So why even bring it up? Because the truth is, even though Jesus is king, he's not, we don't always act like he is. We have a lot of kings that are competing for our attention. Maybe even sometimes our own heart. And we set ourselves up as a king in a kingdom This passage is very clear. There's one king, only one, and he is worthy to be worshipped. He is worthy to to come with this angelic escort and to establish his rule and reign on this earth. However, one of the most favorite ways Jesus describes himself throughout the Bible in general is that he calls himself a son of man because he's describing his humanity It's important here to see that when history comes to its climax, we will enthrone the God-man. Jesus is the God of the universe and worthy to sit in glory and be worshipped, but he's also human. He became like us. He lived amongst us. And so we see the second reason. Why? 
Why did Jesus become human? Why is this a part of this? Why is this a son of man and not just God? Listen to what it says in Hebrews 2.14. It says, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And he continues on in verse 17. He had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people, which basically means to move the sins off of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You see, it's so important that Jesus not just be divine, but human, because in his humanity, he becomes most equipped to love, to serve, to reign. This king is a son of man because you must see that in Jesus, divinity and humanity dwell together. The promises are fulfilled and it enables this king to judge in a way that is not just separate outside of the world, looking down at all of us, but actually he is one of us. He's walked among us. He's experienced the same brokenness and and hardships that we have. He's a king. He's divine. He's human. He's a son of man. So what does he do? What does he do? Well, he picks this up in verse 32. It says, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now, the first thing Jesus does is gather all the nations before him. Every nation, every single nation. No one will be excluded from this moment. It doesn't matter what your background is, what your culture is. It doesn't matter what time period you grew up in or what status you may have. All will be gathered before the throne. And do you see what he says? He says, regardless of what nation may be before him, regardless of what nation you may have found your identity in, there are only two types of people, sheep and goats. Now, what he doesn't mean is the greatest of all time, okay? (laughs) He's talking about two specific animals. And the reason he's bringing up this analogy is because in this time period, it was very common for shepherds to bring in the sheep and goats when night came. And what they would do is they would separate the goats into one place because they needed to be kept warm, but the sheep liked the open air. And again, we see these pictures of both authority and power and yet humility colliding, both of the shepherd and the king. He comes to his throne, he calls all the nations and he separates them sheep from goats. Now why? Why is he separating them? Well, he tells us in verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And he says in verse 41, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. He's separating them because no matter who you are, no matter what time period you were born in, no matter your culture or status, there are only two types of people in this world. Those who long and wait for God's kingdom to come to its full fruition and those who have refused it and will finally be left out of it. Now, what I want to emphasize and remind you of is that this is not a turn or burn sermon. We're not interested in those. Jesus is not trying to talk to to non-believers and try to, to scare them into his kingdom. That's not how he's talking here. He's talking to his friends. This is a personal conversation. Matthew's letting us in on his inner circle and the dialogue taking place. 
So what's Jesus saying? Well, the first thing he's saying is that the sheep are blessed by the father. They are receiving the fullness of that blessing right here. He commands them, receive the gift of the kingdom, which leads to the second aspect. This kingdom has been being prepared since the very foundation of the earth before its very creation. Do you see why this would be so important to his disciples? Do you see why like they would need to hear this? I told you, right? This conversation started in chapter 24, which has a lot of weird stuff in it. But essentially what it says is as he's talking to his disciples, you're going to experience difficulties in this world. Listen to what he says in chapter 24, verse seven. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. He's saying, I want you to know that everything you endure won't go unnoticed. Like despite what death may take from you, even your very life, I have been preparing a kingdom that will last forever. And when I come, the whole world will know. Church, you need to hear this. Because despite how our nation changes, empires have always, they they rise and they fall. And this is nothing new to God. But God, his kingdom, it stands forever. And it has been being prepared. It is being prepared as we speak. And when he shows up, every nation will be gathered at this event. And those who call Jesus king, we will enjoy a life with this king. But those who have brought death, they will be excluded from it. Now, do you notice what Jesus says? He says, I've been preparing a kingdom since the beginning of the world, but I've also been preparing an eternal eternal fire for the devil and his angels. Now, the reason this is important is because this is not supposed to be a scary text. It's supposed to be a hopeful one. Satan is the adversary. God's enemies are actively working against him and his kingdom. Like he's a big sufficient reason why we have wars and violence and famine and disease. He promised us freedom, but it was a freedom to die. And that's the point. Jesus is saying to his disciples, I have created a kingdom for you. And when I come, you will enjoy it. And the enemies of God will be totally overcome. Justice will be served. You will be vindicated. This is what they long for. He says, you may be persecuted or discriminated or mistreated, but Jesus says, I will have the final word. But he says, there are those who are not my sheep. There are those who do not call me king. And there are those who may not call Satan friend, but they treat me as an enemy. In fact, one is in their midst. One would betray him very, very soon. And the separation of the goats from the sheep means there are those who will join a place that God did not prepare for them at all. How? How does he do this? How does he distinguish? Am I a goat or am I a sheep? Let's ask the question. How does he do it? How does he distinguish? Which picks up at the end of verse 34. It says this, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? 
And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them truly. I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now we, uh, in my house, we watch a lot of movies at home. And this reminded me of Aladdin. I don't know if you guys remember this part, but you know, Jasmine's going through the marketplace. She's kind of incognito. Nobody knows it's her and she sees a poor boy. So she grabs an apple to give it to him. And the guy, the merchant who's running the place is like, hey, you gotta pay for that. She's like, I don't have any money. And so he takes her hand and he slams it on the table. And he said, well, I'll take your hand instead. And at that moment, Aladdin comes in and he stops him. And he explains, well, she's kind of crazy. You know, we have issues with her. We've, I've, been, I've actually been looking for her all day. And, and he's able to weasel themselves out of it pretty quickly until the monkey drops all the things he had stolen. And that's when the pursuit begins. They run through the marketplace. They jump through buildings. They, they jump through all these different things and are able to get away until Aladdin, Aladdin gets caught. And what happens in this moment is he himself is about to meet his end until Jasmine rips off her hood and we see this is royalty. This is the princess. You see, Aladdin's act of kindness he thought was for a stranger, but this stranger happens to be one who is in charge of everything. And this is what Jesus is saying. But what's unique and stunning about what Jesus is saying, he's saying is that when I ripped the hood off, it actually was my church. It was those who call me king. He's saying that when you actually serve those who are a part of my church, who have my spirit living in them, it was as if you were serving me. And we always remember the ways in which people serve us and step in when we need it. Now to clarify, Jesus is specifically talking about the church, right? He says, the least of these, my brothers. And every time that phrase is used throughout Matthew, it's in regards to what we even talked about two weeks ago which is that Jesus considers his, his family to be those who serve him, who do the will of God, who, who, who are part of kingdom work here on this earth. Now, I want to make this clear because I want to be emphatic, like, like truth and justice, mercy. When we are able to meet the needs of those who are in desperate need of them, that is a good thing. And the Bible calls us to do that. But this text is less about the, meeting the needs of those who are, are poor and disenfranchised. The Bible addresses that in other areas. This text is specifically about meeting the needs of people who call Jesus king, his church. Because part of what it means to be a part of God's church is for him to live in us. He takes up residence in us. He is actually moving and using us in ways that are unfathomable. And that's why when you serve his church, it's like you serve him. Now, again, the church is not the building. We are. When you came in today, you didn't come to church. You brought the church in. And this is what it means to be a part of this kingdom. And so the goats are the ones who don't extend this type of kindness. And after Jesus speaks with the sheep, he turns to the goats. And he runs through the list again of the things that they didn't do. And he ends in verse 45. He says, truly, I say to you. As you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see, the separation isn't just about the fact that the sheep embodied God's love and so served him, but that the goats withheld God's love. And so they abused him. God's very own children. And therefore, it was as if they abused God himself. I'll never forget when I was in junior high, 
And uh, I was at this event and there was a boy there. He was making all sorts of, of jokes and, you know, at people's expense. And, uh, and eventually it got to me and he said something just so cruel that like, I, I just, I won't repeat it here, but I just freaked out. Like, you would have thought it was the Oscars. You know what I mean? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Too soon. <laughs> but I reacted. All right. It was not a good thing. I snapped. And I had to call my dad. He had to come pick me up. And I was just fuming, you know. And my dad, he's one of the most patient, kind, just a steady man, you know. And so I got in the car and I was just so mad. And he asked me what happened. And as soon as he asked, you know, I just start crying. And I told him what happened. I told him what he said. And in that moment, I had never seen my dad get so mad in my entire life. Not at me. Like that boy was lucky we were not there when I told my dad what had happened. Because all of a sudden this patient, kind man had fury. He himself could take a lot. But when it came to the pain and the wounds of his child, like I knew that my dad loved me. But there was no mistaking it when my wounds became his fury. Church, Jesus is saying this world will not treat you kindly. But make no mistake, when you call him king, when he is Lord, when you serve and love like him and you are met with scorn and contempt and violence, your wounds will become his fury. And when he comes to sit on his throne and the mockers and the violent and the enemies of God are revealed, every aspect of justice will come true. This is what Jesus was telling his disciples, his friends, his inner circle. He wanted to encourage their confidence as they lived in a world that hated them and almost all of them would be killed on his behalf. But there was still one goat among them. There usually is. There are a lot of sheep in this room. Truth is there probably are some goats as well. Because the point of what Jesus is saying is like, who are you? Where do you stand? And the day will come when every fact is going to be revealed. Jesus has knowledge of every single thing and all of it will be exposed. So who are you? Do you love the king? Do you serve like the king? Do you love who the king loves? Now listen, I'm not trying to preach a turn or burn sermon either. I want to make it clear, nobody gets to God because they're scared of him. But because they are loved and they love. And here is what I don't want you to miss. You see, as Jesus wraps up this conversation in verse 46, listen to what he says. He says, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. And when Jesus had finished all these sayings, he said to his disciples, you know that after two days, the Passover is coming and listen, and the son of man will be delivered up to be crucified. You see what he's saying? The same exact knowledge that God will use to judge the entire world he's using in this moment to die for it. He's preparing for the cost that he would take so that nobody would have to go to a place that was not prepared for them. Because the truth is, man, we were all goats. 
We were all separated. We all needed his power, his love, his death and resurrection. And they are confirmation of that fact that the sheep are simply those who have chosen to surrender their kingdoms, to walk out of them and walk into the one and only kingdom with the true king who is good and merciful and takes on the cost for us. Divinity became humanity. And he sits on a throne, able to separate sheep and goats. And this is why C.S. Lewis, I think, has said this very well. He says, there are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. It is not turn or burn. It is love and be loved by a God who took on all of that price so you would never have to experience it. God wants you. He's paid for every part of it. And this is why I think uh, Miroslav Volf, he's a famous theologian, scholar, and he says this, God will judge not because God gives people what they deserve, but because some people refuse to receive what no one deserves. If evildoers experience God's terror, it will not be because they have done evil, but because they have resisted to the end the powerful lure of the open arms of the crucified Messiah. His arms are open. His kingdom is is ready for you to come and be a part of a life with him. And all of our regret will be what we could have offered him and didn't. You see, today we stand between the cross and the throne in hopes that we all will see the grace of the King, embody the love of the Savior. Will you come stand with him? Will you come stand with him? Because this King is worthy of all worship and honor and glory and every knee will bow. May we be a church that already develops the posture of being in a kingdom and kneeling before him. Would you stand as we sing and we worship this God in spirit and in truth? Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.